Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm. Uh, where great families make great estate plans, and Merry Christmas. It is Christmas weekend here in the Berg, uh, and all the uh, the folks were out with the festivities and having a great time, and if you're running around doing uh, some last-minute Christmas shopping, <coughs> Uh, tune in because I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you some things to talk about at Christmas, uh, a few tips for you to be thinking about, and we're gonna help you uh, get started the new year uh, right with uh, right with some good planning. And so I uh, I was chatting with my team this week about what the radio show should be about. You know, it's Christmas weekend, uh, and uh, you know what are what are some relevant things? And and what we realized was we could probably break down the 12 days of Christmas into the 12 tips of Christmas, uh, and got to chatting about that a bit. <coughs> and what I realized is, is that, you know, there's these, there's these sayings that people say around Christmas time, joy to the world, peace on earth, you know, and, and it reminds me of um, some of the things that my clients say throughout the rest of the year. You know, I want to have peace of mind. I want my kids to be happy. I don't want to create a whole bunch of stress, right? And so, so maybe uh, peace on earth and joy to the world starts at home and, and you know, we uh, we can give you some tips for how to accomplish a more peaceful um, a more peaceful estate plan and, and give you a little bit of peace of mind. So that's kind of the idea. Uh, but Merry Christmas to you, Happy New Year. If I don't talk to you uh, before uh, before New Year's, um, and uh, what I want to do here first is just introduce myself a bit. I am Tim Seckler. I am a certified elder law attorney. I own an estate planning and elder law practice in Cranberry Township. So at our firm, we really see uh, three types of cases. One is we write a lot of estate plans, wills and trusts for people, and we've got sort of a unique process to get that done. I'll explain it to you in a little bit. Um, we help families with post-death administration work. So if somebody, uh, if, if you've ever been asked to be someone's executor and gone through that process, we coach executors and, and give them advice on how to do that. And then we do a type of case in our law firm, which is what is commonly referred to as more of an elder law case. Some some attorneys call it crisis cases where somebody is in a nursing home going through a whole bunch of money paying for nursing home care, and they want to know if there anything they can do uh, to protect assets. And so that's really the three types of cases uh, that my law firm is really good at. Um, and, and what I want to do is give you a couple of tips. Now, understand what I'm going to do here today is, um, is give you some information that I think a lot of our clients find helpful. Uh, but remember, this show is for your information and education. Uh, there could be facts in your world which would make these tips uh, bad advice. And so what I don't want you to do is go out and make any changes based on what you hear on this radio show or any other radio show for that matter. Uh, this stuff can get complicated. If you've got legal problems, you need to hire a lawyer to help you with those legal problems. Disclaimer over. Uh, if you would, uh, all right, so so the 12 tips for Christmas. Well, number one is it's just real simple. Um no plan at all, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many people come and haven't thought through this stuff at all. They don't know 
who they want to be their decision makers in the event they're incapacity. They don't know who they want to get an inheritance. They don't know who is going to be the executor. They don't know if they want to avoid probate. They just don't know how this stuff works. They're just they're just kind of a mess and, and living uh, in a world with their their head in the stand. Okay, and so what I what I want to do well, let's set some New Year's resolutions perhaps. Let's get our head out of the sand. You know, one of the things that we joke and, and kind of discuss is we. It's, it can be like Groundhog Day around our office sometimes. So Groundhog Day is coming up in a couple of months. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. But we see the same things over and over. It, it, there are days like working in our law firm where I kind of feel like um, like a dentist probably feels. You know, you see the same problems over and over. The problems are preventable. Uh, brush a few times a day, floss twice a day, use some mouthwash, and these problems are preventable. And you say the same thing for your entire career, brush your teeth a few times, floss a few times, use the mouthwash, these problems are preventable. Um, that's kind of what it's like in our in our law firm. We see the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again, and these things are preventable, uh, and it just requires some planning. Now, I, I once had a friend tell me that, you know, he knows what I do for a living. I, I write estate plans, and he said, well, I don't want to do uh, write a will because I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't want to think about dying. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that prevents the ugly stuff from happening. Not not thinking about it. That that generally prevents the bad stuff from happening, right? And particularly for seniors. Like, um, you know, if, if you live for 85 years, right, most of the people that you looked up to, most, you know, a lot of the people you grew up with, if you're 85 years, a lot of them have gotten sick and or passed away, right? Um, and it, but still, so many people just don't plan for those things. It's like it's like watching. It's like driving down your car on an icy road, right? You're driving down the car on the icy road, and there's a few cars in front of you, and a couple of them drive off the road and hit trees, and then a couple of them slam into each other, and a couple of them flip, and you're driving on the same road, but you you just decide not to put your seatbelt on or tap the brakes, right? That's what I keep saying. It's people know these things are issues. They know that there's a potential for having a problem out there in the future, but we're just not putting on our seatbelts. We're just not planning for it, and and it just doesn't it doesn't make a a ton of sense. Which is related to that was tip number one. You got to do something. Tip number two is that um, families fail to plan for control. What do I mean by that? Um, Today, as I'm recording this show, you know, it's Christmas weekend, I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of my household. I'm in control of my pocketbook. I'm in control of um, lots of aspects of my life. But I could have a stroke. I could have too many Christmas cookies, go into a sugar rush, have a stroke, and tomorrow I've lost control, right? So if I've lost control, now who's in control? Like if I'm laying in a coma, who's in control tomorrow? And we see this over and over and over again. We usually get calls from adult children who will say, oh, my dad is in uh, the hospital. He's been in there for a while. He's got uh, he's got this thing or that thing going on. And can we come and do a power of attorney? Well, not if the thing he's doing has resulted in him not understanding what's going on around him. No, it's it's too late now to do a power of attorney. The power of attorney document is a is a document you do beforehand. It's It's putting on the seatbelt before the accident. We can't do a power of attorney after the accident, after the head injury, after this person has lost capacity. We have lost our ability to do that. Um, and so loss of control is tip number two. I guess tip number two is don't lose control. Get yourself a, a, an estate plan. 
Tips number three and tips number four are, uh, are related to each other. So tip number three is do not rely too heavily on joint accounts, okay? So this is a mistake we see families make all the time. Uh, a senior says, well, I'm just going to put my daughter's name on the account. Uh, and the reason we're purporting to put the daughter's name on the account is so that the daughter can write checks, so the daughter can do the things that mom can do, right? Except, you know, that might be okay if the account only has a couple of thousand dollars in it. But then what happens sometime later is, is maybe mom sells her house, right? Uh, she needs to go into an independent living or personal care. So we sell the house, and into this checking go- account goes a quarter million dollars of home sale proceeds. And now it's into a joint account, right? So at a couple of grand, who really cares? At, at a quarter million dollars, now what happens is if mom has three children, she passes away. Let's assume mom's will said equal shares to the kids. And so if it was not in a joint account, all three kids take an inheritance, but because it is now in a joint account with one daughter, that daughter gets the entire quarter million dollars. And this is the stuff that blows up families. Why are we doing this joint account? Well, we did the joint account because <clears throat> we wanted to, uh, to, to have some element of control, right? We were going to have the daughter be able to sign off on mom's account. But we don't have to give up ownership of assets to accomplish that. We do a power of attorney document. With a properly drafted power of attorney document, the daughter can write checks on mom's account. And we're not disrupting the estate plan. So be careful with this joint ownership stuff. And a related concept is beneficiary designations. We all have assets, um, life insurance, investment accounts, that have beneficiaries on them. So when I pass away, I name so-and-so as my beneficiary. I name my wife or I name my kid as a beneficiary. Great. But here's the problem. Um, Beneficiary designations really only answer one question. And the question that they answer is, who gets my stuff when I pass away? Well, that's an important question to answer, right? We want to answer that one. But aren't there some other important questions we may want to consider answering? Like, for example, what happens if the person dies before me? What happens if somebody's underage? What happens if somebody's disabled? What happens if any of these things take place? Because if any of those things take place, now we, we might not want to just leave the money to that person. We wanted to plan for those things. And so I could write you a beautifully drafted will or a trust that says, if anybody's under the age of 25, then do this. If anybody's disabled, then do that. And we can plan for those things. But if the client goes and puts beneficiary designations on all the accounts, you just superseded the will. Um, and so the will that you paid for that has all these helpful provisions in it doesn't apply. And now the disabled person ends up with money we didn't want them to end up with. Um, and so so uh, just be careful there with uh, the beneficiary designation. So we're up through four of our 12 tips for Christmas. Uh, if you want to learn more about this stuff, check us out, secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R lawfirm.com. Now, that's hard to spell, so if you want to just do Estate Plan Tim, that's my name, estateplantim.com, uh, you'll find our website. And at that website, you can be able to register for one of our upcoming free estate planning and elder law workshops where we teach you this stuff. Uh, I always have thought that the education should be free, Um, And so we do the education piece in group sessions all around town. So if you want to come to one of our workshops, they are free. You can register for them at our website, or you can give me a call, 724-841-1393. All right, so we've gone through the four first tips. Number five is no healthcare decision-making. We haven't told anybody where we want to live in our senior years. We haven't told anybody... 
uh, our end-of-life decisions. And so then what happens is I'm in an accident, and my kid or my wife doesn't know what I want to have happen. They don't know how I want to receive or not receive end-of-life care. They want to, they don't, you know, they, they want to know where I would like to be buried, but I didn't tell anybody, right? So no health care directions for our family is a mistake. And related to that, we do a document uh, that governs end-of-life called an advanced directive. Uh, the advanced directive says who's going to make the decisions, and then it gives them some instruction. One of those choices is whether my agent shall follow my instructions. And one of the uh, the other option is my agent may use these instructions as guidance but can override my desires. And what I want to tell you is I used to be a shall guy. I used to think shall was the way to go. And the thought process there is um, I'm making my own end-of-life decisions. I'm just asking my child to communicate them to the doctor. And so uh, they shall follow my instructions. Except here's the problem. Your kids, if they're the ones being asked to make your health care decisions in the future, they are going to have more information than you have today, right? So one of the things that, that occurred a lot in COVID uh, when, when everybody was getting sick back in 2020 is a lot of people had these advanced directives that said that they did not want mechanical ventilators, right? The living will said, I do not want a mechanical ventilators. Well, when people signed these documents and said, my, my agent shall follow these instructions, Nobody was thinking that we were going to have a worldwide respiratory pandemic, right? And so I have, I have in recent years become a bigger fan of uh, some flexibility in these documents. My agent may use these instructions as guidance but can override my desires. And I think that's just a practical, a practical approach to this because by definition, if our family members are having to make the decisions, it's because we are not able to make the decisions. We're incapacitated. And the kids are going to be in a better position to understand the situation. So uh, there's a tip for you. Another tip, um, which I think is, is related to the previous tip, is that um, speaking of, of my families with clients with their head in the sand, um, I can't tell you how many dozens of times a year that I hear, oh, I'm never, I'm going to live in my house as long as possible. I'm going to live in my, I'm never going to the home. I'm never going uh, you know, my daughter's going to take care of me if I if I have health care issues. I'm never going to need any help. Well, yeah, okay. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but it seems to me that nursing homes are full of people who were never going to nursing homes. Um, and the reality of the situation is, even in the best situation, you got you got a daughter that lives next door who who uh, isn't otherwise employed and has all the time in the world to take care of you. That doesn't make her a nurse, and it doesn't make her a physical therapist. Um, and sometimes we need the help of those people. You know, what, the intentions aside, sometimes the health care needs um, dictate where you live. You can't get that type of care at home. Um, or it'd be $25,000 a month, and you're just simply not going to pay $25,000 a month. And so... I understand wanting to stay in your home as long as possible. I want to stay at my home as long as possible. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have a plan B. You know, I don't want my home to catch on fire, but I do have insurance if it does, right? And so wanting to stay in your home for the rest of your life and being able to stay in your home for the rest of your life, these are two different things. And failure to plan for the second thing can result in catastrophic financial failure. Uh, because if we do end up going to the place and we don't have a plan for it, 
now is when we failed to plan financially for this situation because we were living in a fantasy world. Uh, and, and I get blindsided by the bills and, and don't know what to do next. Okay, so tip number seven is let's have a real conversation about where you're going to receive your care and let's have a plan B in case you cannot stay at home. Um, and this gets me to, uh, to another thing I want to chat about. There, there's this concept of kitchen table planning. Um, what's kitchen table planning? Well, kitchen table planning is when the family uh, does some homework on the internet and then they get together at the evening for, for dinner at dad's house and then we sit around the kitchen table and we con- concoct some plan that is supposed to be the estate plan. It's supposed to beat the government at the tax game or the long-term care game, right? I'm just going to give everything to my kids or uh, I'm going to put my kid's name on the account or on my house and then we're going to skip all that nonsense, right? Except here's the thing. The government is really good at this game, right? They see they see you coming. Um, they you can't just um, put the kid's name on stuff and pretend it's all safe. Um, and and oftentimes putting the the stuff in the kids' names, you you may avoid one problem, but unintentionally subject yourself to another problem. You 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 might be trying to save stuff from long term care expenses, and you end up costing yourself a fifty thousand dollar tax mistake. And so. Tip number eight is beware of kitchen table planning. You know, you, you worked your whole life to accumulate some stuff. You got some money, you got some house, you got some family. Um, you work 50, 60, 70, 80 years to accumulate this stuff, and then you're going to do your estate plan, do it yourself? You know, you, most people don't even remodel their bathrooms, do it yourself. But you think you can do this complicated estate planning with taxes and long-term care expenses and all the different headaches by yourself. And Look, this is a time where you hire a professional. Um, tip number nine is failing to avoid probate. So why are the reasons that we want to avoid probate? Well, f- probate is the administration of an estate when you pass away. we got to go through that when you have a will. So sometimes people think, well, I have a will. I'm going to avoid probate. No, 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 no. Your will is your admission ticket to probate court. Uh, so when you pass away, your executor has to administer things under the, the purview of the courthouse. Um, in Pennsylvania, there's there's reasons why this process takes forever. Creditor rights issues, the inheritance tax issues, notice issues. Um, there are there are three reasons why Pennsylvania uh, why attorneys say you should avoid probate. I want to give them to you, and then I want to add the third. So for a long t- uh, the fourth for a long time, attorneys have been saying it'll it'll um, save you some time, it'll save you some legal fees, and it'll keep stuff private. Fine, those are great. But the real reason I think families should consider avoiding probate is because in Pennsylvania, if I do get sick and I end up in a nursing home, I can become eligible for Medicaid benefits to pay the nursing home on my behalf while still owning a home. So I'm allowed to still own a home and um, and be on Medicaid benefits for the nursing home. But it turns out then when I pass away, the state of Pennsylvania has a claim against my estate. It's called the estate recovery claim. And they can force my executor to sell the house to pay back the state of Pennsylvania for every penny they spent on my care, right? That's called the estate recovery claim. So they tell me I can become eligible for Medicaid while still owning a house. But then when I pass away, they, they take the house from my estate, uh, my executor. Um, turns out in Pennsylvania that this estate recovery claim, the state's ability to come after your house when you pass away, is limited to your probate estate, which is a beautiful, wonderful, perfectly sound reason that your house should not go through probate, 
right? Um, that might be the tip of the day. That's tip number uh, tip number nine is a great reason to avoid probate is because estate recovery in Pennsylvania is limited to somebody's probate estate. And this is the type of stuff we teach you at our workshops, right? So we are now through nine of our 12 tips. Um, but these are the things that we have in mind. And, and it's related to the previous tip is you can't do this at the kitchen table. You, you're not going to figure this stuff out. Look, we've been doing this a long time. Um, and you still learn stuff, right? There's always an angle. There, and the state's always trying to do something different. The federal government's always trying to do something different. Um, and, you know, estate planning requires a, a, a real plan for these issues. Um, and that's and, and education, right? You, I mean, you, you don't know enough to do this on your own, uh, which is why we host our classes. We host free estate planning workshops around um, Pittsburgh. We do it pretty much every other week in Cranberry Township. But we, we do host them around, and we're open to invitations uh, to do them in other places. But, but the idea is I've always wanted to do the education for free. So at the workshop, we teach you the difference between wills and trusts and powers of attorney and, and all the different documents that somebody would need in order um, to at least understand the game that you're playing, and then you decide on what you want to do next. So uh, if you want to attend one of our workshops, if you think this thing is interesting, driving around on a Christmas uh, weekend, getting – uh, all the last-minute presents done and you happen upon my radio show, well, guess what? Merry Christmas. This is your wake-up call. Uh, we need to do some planning. Um, okay, three more to go. Got a couple of minutes left and three more to go. So uh, tip number 10 is most estate plans, even people who have done estate plans, fail to protect assets. What does that mean? Well, what's your biggest financial threat? If you're a middle-class American, middle-class retiree, your biggest financial threat is not taxes, it's not probate, it's what happens if I need long-term care. Nursing homes are 150 grand a year, and most people are not adequately prepared to handle that type of expense. Uh, but you can protect your resources from this harmful government rulebook that requires you to go broke in nursing homes. It's not the nursing home's fault, folks. It's the fact that the government won't help you pay for them. That's the problem, and that's the problem we're trying to help you protect. So uh, a tip is you need to have an asset protection plan as part of your estate planning. Proper estate planning is not just who gets my stuff when I pass away. It's also how do we make sure there is still some stuff left when I pass away. That's a trickier uh, thing to accomplish uh, and requires a little bit more intentional on the estate plan. So failing to protect assets, uh, which is related to the next one, uh, outright distribution can be a mistake. What does that mean? Well, if you think about the, the common estate, uh, I pass away, I leave stuff to my kids. Fine. My kid gets a check, right? They sell off all my stuff, sell the houses, pay the taxes, go through all the headache. Finally, my kid gets a check. But what if when my daughter gets her check, she is halfway through a divorce proceeding or she's in uh, or more accurately, what happens if she gets the money and her marriage is fine and then she goes out and buys a joint home with the person and minivan for all of my little future grandbabies, commingles all the funds, and then five years later needs to go through a divorce. Now what happens to the money I left my little girl? Um, and this is an issue that is easily solved. We don't give the kids the inheritance outright. We give the kids the inheritance in a trust that protects it from their future potential creditor issues like a divorce or a lawsuit. Uh, it's an easy thing to do, it's a, but most estate plans fail to do it. Uh, and uh, it's a thing we like to help our clients with because I, I want to, you know, it's, 
estate planning, when done right, doesn't just transfer the stuff. It gives them to the, uh, it gives the stuff to them in a way that actually improves their world and doesn't blow up their world. Uh, and and that's that's a big part of this type of planning is understanding what the threats are today. Could be taxes, could be long term care, could be loss of control, could be could be any variety of things. And understanding what the risks are in the future. A disabled person inheriting money, an underage person inheriting money, somebody with creditor issues inheriting money. These are things we can plan for. They might not even have the disability or the creditor issue today, but we can reasonably foresee a lot of marriages end in divorce. Why don't we plan for that issue? Um, and then tip number 12. Tip number 12 uh, is, is a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, there's nothing technically wrong with doing it. However, I just typically recommend against it, and that is naming all the kids, naming both the kids, naming all the kids as your, as your decision maker. Uh, so a lot of the time when we're designing an estate plan, let's say the family has two kids, Billy and Susie, they want Billy and Susie to be the agent under the power of attorney. They want Billy and Susie to be the executor. Um, well, remember the reason we're doing a power of attorney is to maintain control. If I lose capacity, here's the person who takes it over. But if I name two people and they disagree, well, now isn't that the same as losing control? Because the agents aren't agreeing. They're, they're taking decisions in, that, are, that are contrary to each other. Um, isn't that the same as losing control in the first place? Have we really solved the problem or have we just sort of exchanged problems for a new problem? And so I, I, I generally recommend that my clients do one agent at a time rather than joint decision makers. Every family is different, of course, but that's typically our recommendation. And there you have them, the 12 tips of Christmas. Um, I hope that you have a merry, merry Christmas. Uh, remember, the stuff that you have uh, heard today is for your education and for your information. This is not meant to be legal advice. Uh, the, the advice we would give you would vary based on your fact pattern. If you'd like to learn more, go to secklerlawfirm.com. Sign up for one of our upcoming estate planning and elder law workshops, and let's get this thing done in the new year correctly. So thanks for listening to today's show. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we'll see you here next weekend for the New Year show. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.